0: Hey guys, this is Pastor Zach, and you are listening to Sermon Notes here at HPC. Turn with me to the book of Mark. We're going to be in chapter 12 for just a few minutes here. I really only have one point. And there's some disclaimers that need to go along with this message too. Um, But let's read. Let's do this. Would you all stand up with me? Mark chapter 12, verse 41. And he sat down opposite the treasury and began observing how the people were putting money into the treasury, and many rich people were putting in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which amount to a cent. Calling his disciples to him, he said to them, truly, I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury, for they all put in out of their surplus. Some of your Bibles say abundance there. But she, out of her poverty, or your Bible may say lack, put in all she owned, all she had to live on. Amen. Thank you for your word, Lord. Y'all can have a seat. The morning that, uh, the morning I announced that, uh, that we would be, that the, the Lord was going to finance the, the renovation with the widow's might, um, Jeff Daniels came up to me. Jeff, just wave your hand in the air so everybody can see. Yeah, just there he is right there. Jeff Daniels came up to me that day. And there's a little bit of backstory here. I mean, two years ago, before we ever moved to this side, um, I remember I was by myself uh, over in that room thinking of how extensive that project was going to be. And I asked the Lord, God, how in the world are you going to finance this? Emphasis on you. How are you going to finance this? Um, and at that at that time, uh, you know, my name, I think, I think at that time, it was just my name was on the agreement, the PNS for this whole building. This all 117-something square feet. And um, Ashley's already learned by now not to, like, you know, try and get me to think reasonably about what we put our name on. And uh, she's, she's, like, the reason and the ration and the logic and the wisdom in the house. And I'm the erratic behavior. So uh, I'm like, yeah, I put my name on it. What do we have to lose, you know? And uh, so so I asked the Lord, and very clearly, very clearly, the, this is the word of the Lord to me, very clearly, with the widow's might, with the widow's might. And I made that announcement here, like, shortly after we moved over. We were talking about how we were going to do this. We were beginning to talk about share financial and the selling of the bonds and all the different things. And, uh, and I said that. And the morning I said that, not having told anybody I was going to do it, Jeff Daniels approaches me after service with a little plastic, like, um, laminated thing. And it was a card about the size of a business card with some writing on it in Hebrew and some uh, archaeological facts. And inside the plastic case was one of the two mites that the widow actually gave. <laughs> At least that's what he told me. Just kidding. He said this was, this was a, a historically accurate from this era in the time of Jesus. A mite, a little copper coin that was exactly, yes, I'm just going to believe it. It was one of the widow's two mites. And then a little while later, he gave Pastor John the other one. So in our possession, we have both widow's mites. Mine has a certificate of, of, of authenticity. I don't know about yours. Anyway... I just thought it was interesting that the day I made the announcement, Jeff happened to be able to produce from himself just in his pocket an actual widow's mite. And I thought, Lord, I'm a pretty confident person. I'm a pretty certain person. It takes a lot to get me to second guess what I've heard. Um, But as I made that announcement and as we went into this, there were some other incredibly anointed prophetic voices in our house that were hearing other things, too, from the Lord. Things that to the naked eye and to the, uh, you know, fresh glance of the ear would say those two things can't be both true. It's either going to be this or it's going to be that. It's either going to be this or it's going to be that. How many of you guys know that that's any time people are hearing from God, that's how it that's how it works out. Right. And I think the Lord gets a kick out of this because it forces us to 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 go after him in a greater capacity. We have to dig right? The Lord loves to answer. I mean, go all the way back to the Gospels. Jesus is answering questions cryptically and with other questions that confused people and gave them migraines, but it forced them to go after him in a greater capacity to say, Lord, what did you mean by this? He's like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so as people began to pursue the Lord, more and more clarity would unfold surrounding the questions that they had. And the same thing is true of us. So God will get us together in a room, everybody hearing something different, lock the door and sit back and laugh while we hash it out. You're like, you heard that? I heard this. One of us is off. Well, here's the crazy truth. Chances are, none of us are off. Chances are, especially in a room like this where y'all are full of the Holy Spirit and know the word inside and out, you're not off. We just all are seeing something from a different perspective. Some of these prophetic words uh, dealt with the wealth of the world coming in, um, that the, the the wealth would be deposited, uh, the wealth of Persia, of Cyrus, the deposits that were made uh, to the original groups coming back out of, out of uh, exile to rebuild the temple and rebuild the walls under the leadership of Ezra and Nehemiah. And um, there were some paradigms like that that were coming through prophetically that spoke of the wealth of the world being stored up and released to the move of God that's happening today. And I'm here to tell you that while we preach this message for the next few minutes, I in absolute no way am here to deny the validity and reality of those words. I believe with my whole heart that we need the wealth of the world in order to accomplish what God wants to do. Okay? Okay? I believe it, that this isn't going to happen, you know, when, when uh, you know, a few of us just sign over our, our uh, you know, retirement accounts or whatever. That's not enough. L- listen, New England is going to be changed for the gospel of Jesus Christ. The kingdom is going to come here. It's going to be so much bigger than a 600,000 square foot mall. All right. We need the rest of this mall. We're going to get the rest of this mall. Okay. And the Lord is going to get a kick out of Releasing the wealth of the world to do it. We love those stories, don't we? When the businessman walks in and writes the check, or when the the, the guy hits the lottery and the or the you know the the oil tycoon or the real estate mogul, you know, uh, pay off all the debt, you know, whatever. We love those stories because they don't require anything from us. <laughs> Look what God did. And what I want to say is, look what you didn't have any part of. Dang. Dang it. Urgh. So with those two widow's mites, um, I'm convinced that the Lord is, is going to provide. And by the way, money has been coming in for the sanctuary renovation, and I want to thank you. There are people who are giving ridiculously sacrificially um, and are coming in monthly, weekly with way above and beyond, and be just in faithfulness, sowing into what God's gonna be doing here on these grounds. And so it's exciting to watch. It's like a rush, but there's something else here. See, I believe that, that this paradigm of the widow's might being how this happens is because in order to see the wealth of the, the world released back over the church, I think we, the church, need to mature we have to grow up. We have to become stewards of what we have, like, like really stewards, like sacrificial stewards of what we have. And that's kind of, to me, as we've talked and I've sat in some of our prophetic circles and, and prayed through, all right, Lord, how do these things all come together? I think the Lord wants to break something open something restorative, something redemptive of of this region and how much the church has failed it in the past and how folks with church hurt are being brought back into the kingdom through this. And the finances come with it. I believe all of that. But we have to be where we need to be to receive them. We have to be the bride that knows how to go into the market and sell the purple cloth. We've got to be the bride that knows how to look at a field and make a discerning and and wise choice as to whether or not to buy it for the kingdom that's coming. And so with that said, I want to just share a little bit on this couple of verses today before we go. So some groundwork here on finances, right? Because finances are hard. And I'll be honest with you. I don't love to talk about finances. I actually, if you know me and you've been around for the last 12 years, it is like a real like blue moon that I come out with a message on finances. It was hard just getting through the share financial stuff and like talking about that so much and dedicating so much time and so many Sundays to announcements and all this sort of thing. So I had kind of sworn that off until Pastor Kurt brings a word from the Lord to me this last week. And he's like, you're going to teach on this, says the Lord. <laughs> and it was good. It was good it wasn't you, because that's not even how you operate. But you came with the boldness of the Lord to bring a, a strong reminder to me that, that I have to stand before the Lord one day and answer for this. So I want to honor you and say thank you for that, Kurt. So finances are spoken on over 800 times throughout Scripture. And over half of Jesus' parables, in some way, shape, or form, deal with money. The Lord teaches us that the love of money, not money itself, but the love of money is the what? The root of all evil. And I'll add to that, the pursuit of money is the root of most conflict as well, both inside and out of the church. And like sin, money has more power when its accounting is kept in the dark. Some of you are continuing to wear a woundedness from a church's indiscretion with finances. Not ours, hopefully, if that's so, I'd love to clarify that for you. Because we made a decision in our first six weeks before we had a name, before we had a place, before we had a pastor, really, and we said, everything's out in the open. Everything's done in the light. Everything is checks and balances. Everything is we we, we don't want to play that game. And from day one from moving forward, uh, it's all been accessible. Now we're not a church with membership, we're not a church that votes. We're a church that you either come here and you trust the leadership and challenge us when you need to, when the Lord tells you to, and, and call for accountability at times. But you either trust us and you stay or you don't and you leave. And our elders, our finance team, our executive leadership, the, the accountability that's there is right out in the open. And I love that about us. It's like one of my favorite things about us because I do believe, and I'll say it one more time, that just like sin... Just like sin, money has more power over us when the accounting is kept in the dark. You know the number one reason for divorce is over finances? Number one reason, finances. And I would venture to say from the counseling that Ashley and I have done over the years that so much of that is rooted in what is kept in the dark. 60% of women have a credit card that their husbands don't know about. Now I don't know about the credit cards I have. There's a lot of credit cards in my name, but I don't know anything about. I'm just kidding. Pretty sure Jamal spends my money. The team spends. Yeah, no, I don't care. I love it. He's just asking me today. I need to get your wallet, and I'm like, okay, here's where it is. Tell me about it. Make sure you turn your receipt in to Jen. You know, that's it. Well, you turn that receipt in, son because I always do, but I've always thought it was interesting that it's so taboo for pastors to know what people give. Now, this is going to get really sensitive for a bunch of New Englanders, a bunch of Portuguese people who, you don't see my papers. Those are my papers under lock and key in my mattress in a mayonnaise jar in the backyard under the grapevines. You don't see my papers beneath the rabbit hutches. I've always thought it was so interesting. And you know what? I get it. I get it. Because people always say, well, if pastors knew what people gave, there would be preferential treatment. Want to hear something crazy? You're going to disagree with this, but I believe that because the Lord knows what people give, there's preferential treatment. There's like two people clapping in the back because you're saved. I think so much of the blessing of heaven is evidenced through how willing we are, surrendered and obedient to blessing what we have the power to bless with. So it's interesting, right? That is so taboo. We don't want our pastors to know whether people give. The ones who are, by the way, charged with the spiritual discipleship of an entire church aren't supposed to know what's going on in the area of your life that Jesus talks about more than anything else. Interesting. And we think money has no power over us. I, me, Zach Lenz, I know about your substance abuse. I know about your drug addictions. I know about your secret obsessions and your affairs. (laughs) But I'm not supposed to know whether or not you're following a simple biblical principle. Why? Because money has no power over us? Let's get real. Let's get real. If you're writing things down, you can go ahead and get this. Your grip on money and money's grip on you are codependent. Your grip on money, the tighter of a hold you have on finances, the tighter of a grip those finances have on you. And I want to just say to the folks in the room who you're whispering to yourself, you know, well, I don't tithe and I'm pretty blessed. I'm not going to say that you're not blessed. I think a lot of blessing just comes from walking with Jesus and knowing him. I'm also not going to say if you tithe that everything in your life is going to go perfect. This isn't one of those kind of churches. I'm sorry. It'd be easier if it was. I could just promise you cupcakes and Cadillacs if you would just, you know, if you would just tithe. But I'm not going to say that. You know why? Because the Bible says a lot more about giving than just that you need to be faithful and committed and consistent. It says that in Proverbs that a lazy man should starve. Okay? Okay. It's very clear about how we need to be providing for our families, how we need to be keeping our priorities straight. So no, you can't just write a 10% of your check out to the church and just think that nothing else requires any other attention or motive. All of these things need to be taken into consideration and, and carefully evaluated and held up before the Lord. But when they are saints, we do begin to reflect the goodness and the blessing of heaven in a way that the world doesn't understand it. Even the world understands that you're supposed to give money away, right? Even the world understands what the, what the Pharisees, the wealthy people in the temple were doing that day. I mean, every celebrity has a charity. Why? Because they know that it looks good. The same reason these guys were giving this, making a lot of noise, you know, have you ever walked through uh, the the entrance to Walmart when somebody's at the coin star, and it's like <laughs> it's like somebody won the, the slot machine in Vegas, and it's like you go deaf in the one ear as you walk by. It makes a lot of noise to give to give a lot. It makes a lot of noise, and we love the noise. We love the attention and the sound. Of that feeling when you walk out of Walmart and in Christmas time or Target, and there's somebody out there in a Santa costume with a bucket and a bell, and we dump in whatever our change was. Makes us feel good. And by the way, there's not anything wrong with it. But what Jesus points out here in a couple of red letters is that this widow with her two simple copper coins gave more than all the other contributors to the treasury that day. How can that be? Listen, I'm an original language guy. I love Greek. I love the Aramaic. I love to get into, you know, what was happening historically. What was this worth? I think the two mites were one 164th of a day's wages. Literally like ashtray change, couch cushion change. Less even. So I got in there, and I'm like going through it. Well, what's the math? What does this really mean? What is that word? What is this word? What is that word? And you know what I found at the end of it? That at least for this message, for today, for us, the Lord wasn't worried about any of that. What I couldn't get away from was the last line when Jesus says, for they gave out of their surplus, out of their abundance, out of their excess, and she gave of her lack. This message is about giving from your excess versus giving from your existence. There's nothing wrong with giving from your excess. There's nothing wrong with when you have an unexpected inheritance or an unexpected whatever, you know, that happens. And, you know, there's money on top of money that you hadn't budgeted in and you want to give some of that. Listen, I'm not going to turn that away. I grew up under a pastor. His name was Brian Smith. He's gone home to be with the Lord in Assemblies of God pastor in a small town in North Carolina, and he used to stand at the front in an ill-fitting sweater and say this, God loves a cheerful giver, but he'll take it from a grouch. That was his favorite line right before the offering plate went. There's only about 80 people tops in that church ever, and that plate passed by every single one of them every day, every Sunday. Every Sunday. And, I, and I, love, I love that, you know, we see the Father's heart here. We see what it, what it means to the Lord. He's not looking for our feeling in it. He's not looking for, for our, our sense of security in it. What he's looking for is the discipline of a consistent commitment to give of ourselves, not just the extra that comes in but as a regular part of our lives to give that which sustains us. You know why they called it the first fruits? Because it was literally the first round of harvest and you you took it and you gave it to the Lord in the faith that there would be enough coming around to keep you alive. That was the first fruits. And today it's like, We'll pay everything and anything else under the sun and then we'll see what's left and if we can give 10% of that. Some of you guys, you're hung up on the 10% thing. Some of you are hung up on a lot more than that. But the 10% thing, it's interesting. We can talk about the 10% thing. The Mosaic Law, if you really want to get into it, there's a lot there. And the real, the real truth behind the 10% is that it was, it was two-tenths And a third, totaling 23% of an actual, over the course of all every season of an an annual giving, 23%. Now, some of y'all are like, there's got to be another church. There's got to be another church where I can write whatever the heck, a petty, stupid thing I want to write on Facebook, and I won't get held accountable for it. I can give my, you know, happy 7% after all the taxes have been taken out. I, there's got to be another church. There is another church. And here's what I'm going to tell you. If you can tithe there and you can't hear, then you need to go there. You need to go to that church. Because I don't, I don't want a tithe from you. I want the tithe for you. I want the principle of the tithe for you. Wasn't that a Mosaic law? It absolutely was a Mosaic law. But it came into fullness under the, the fulfillment of Jesus Christ. Just like... The Mosaic law required a circumcision of the flesh. Well, the New Testament doesn't say no more circumcisions. It says now you need a circumcision of the heart. Now we're going to talk about what sacrifice really looks like. And you know what they did in the New Testament? They gave everything. Everything. They sold it all and they brought it in and they laid it at the apostles feet. And they said, hey, what can the kingdom do with this? Giving from your excess versus giving from your existence. The problem with your extra is that you get to decide what's extra. I don't want to decide. You know what I'm saying? Like, I want the Lord to decide. I want to hold it all with an open hand, and I want the Lord to look at what was already his, always his, and always will be, and say, mm, let's go that one, that one, and that one. And I'm like, but that's the 100, 100 and the fifty. Now y'all are laughing because I'm a pastor. I never have that much money. You're like, this guy. Here's the deal. It's never ours. But when all we do is give out of our extra, we're at the mercy of our flesh and our bills and our, and our, our, our materialism and our consumerism to decide what it is that, that we can give to the Lord this week. my, My favorite thing about the tithe is that it's a discipline, and without discipline, there is no disciple. Oh, I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. Well, what disciplines are there in your life that speak to that? No, 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 real disciplines. I go to church every Sunday. That's a good start. Maybe. What's it costing you, though? Do we give because it makes a lot of noise? Or do we give as just, just the regular, the consistent and committed sacrificial lifestyle that acknowledges who we belong to and to whom everything we have belongs to as well? The problem with giving from your extra is that it changes. God doesn't change. I love the 10% because it just doesn't change. It's just always there. It's just that baseline. It's just that no matter what, before anything else, before everything else, God gets this. God gets this. Please do not, please do not get lost in some bad teaching about this just being the law. This is a principle. This is a a standard by which we approach our faith. This should be a life of faith. And that faith should be demonstrated in our giving Perhaps more than anywhere else. And it's difficult, isn't it? It's difficult. We want to give the other stuff. And Jesus says to the Pharisees in Matthew 23, verse 23, he says, Oh, you Pharisees, you're tithing your dill and your cumin and, you know, your everything bagel seasoning and whatever else there is. You're giving a tenth of all this stuff, but you're not giving of the more important things. You're not giving of the love. You're not giving of the stuff that's in your heart to give. Well, here's the crazy thing about the world we live in today. It's easier for us to give a love than it is to give our money. It's easier for us to sign up for a charitable event, to come out and serve, to come out and do this, to to you know do wh- whatever it is that we have control over. Well, I can sign up for between the hours of 9 and 9:12. I just need to do my good deed for the day and you know whatever whatever's needed. And I'm 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 not trying to diminish those of you that are just pouring out your lives for the Lord because it's huge. And that's how stuff happens. That's how the kingdom comes. And I thank you for it. But this culture that we're in right now, it is culturally appropriate to love, isn't it? It is culturally appropriate to tolerate, to permit. And my, have we gotten off easy tithing love while having a death grip on our finances. Giving of your excess versus giving of your existence. Would you stand up with me? Saints, I I believe in freedom. And not just in one area of your life or another. I believe in freedom across the board and you guys know me i've been pretty transparent with this group my my strong suit is not discipline um i i i feel like i have not over the course of my life been marked by discipline i'm an extremist i uh i love a lot of everything that i love and that's the nicest way i can think to say it and uh and so what I've had to do is I've had to look for ways. See, giving to the Lord is no problem for me. Giving money to the Lord. That's not an issue. I'll give, you can ask Ashley. I'm, I'm gonna err on the side of like, just empty it out. Just shake it out. Turn it upside down and shake it out. Give it to the Lord. I have no problem giving money. What I have a problem with is the consistency and the commitment and the discipline of true discipleship. I don't have a problem with sacrifice, but I'm an extremist. So I'll sacrifice everything recklessly, losing sight of, well, the Lord actually wanted this in obedience. And obedience is still better than sacrifice. So can this be a call to obedient sacrifice? Can this be a call to true discipleship? Can this be a call to to choosing to follow Jesus even in our wallets when we held him out of the water when we got baptized? Hey, I'm not ready for this to change yet. I wanna encourage you, build the consistency into your life of giving, giving of of your, your sustenance like this widow did. Giving of what keeps you alive, not the extra. Not the extra. This is about giving. This is about giving of, of what, whatever it was that was gonna buy your lunch today, that was gonna, that was gonna get your family on the next vacation or, or pay your next bill. This is about understanding that commitment and consistency in sacrifice means that it has to come first and that whatever else doesn't happen as a result of that, all right, Lord, Help me with the order. Help me with the priorities. Help me with the work ethic if that's what I need. God, if I'm having trouble keeping a job, help me with the work ethic. But what I'm sowing into in my discipleship and my discipline and my commitment and my consistency, what I'm sowing into is the one who will sustain me through this season of learning how to hold down a job, of learning how to pay my bills, of learning how to you know, uh, do every, everything else that's required of me. That's the freedom the Lord has for us. He will bring everything. Seek first the kingdom in your finances. Oh, I seek first the kingdom. I know every Bible verse, every song. I seek first the kingdom. I'm always the first one there every morning. I seek first the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom in your bank account. Loosen that grip and feel its grip loosen on you. Whatever's been done in darkness... Hold it out. There's people in this room this morning, you have a gambling addiction and the Lord wants to break it off of you. But part of that grip being loosed off of you is you loosing your grip on having to hide this thing. Bring it out into the light. Some of you guys, some, there's people in this room this morning, there's people watching on TV right now and your finances, it's like there's a hole in your pocket like Haggai talks about. And every time you go to reach for a coin, it's gone. Why? Because our lives are marked by misstewardship. The financial practices of this world have bled over into the church and it's time that the Lord gets it back. So Father, I pray for my church this morning. God, I pray for your church this morning. Lord, forgive us in the places where where we we prop up our flesh with bad theology and bad teaching. Forgive us, Lord, where we've made excuses, whitewashed, scripturally contextualized excuses. God, I pray that you would bring your bride closer to your heart this morning, that you would point to the cattle on a thousand hills and the inheritance, the ring, the ceiling of your Holy Spirit that you've given us. And Lord, that in this season, we would experience a freedom that changes the way we think about money, that changes the mindsets of poverty and of lack. God, I thank you for this woman who goes down in history because in the midst of her in the midst of her poverty and lack, she had a mindset of heaven's wealth. God, I thank you that this isn't about who has how much in this room. It never has been and it never will be. It's about the posture of our hearts and the willingness to, to, to put a, a pen to paper to look at our our bank accounts through heaven's eyes and to be able to see your kingdom coming through what it is that we can give. It all belongs to you. It always has and it always will. We love you, Lord. We give you glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, God bless you guys. Thanks for hanging in there with me. Please have the best day of your lives. We'll see you next week. This is Pastor Zach, and you've been listening to HPC Sermon Notes. Love you guys, God bless you, and have the best day of your life.